Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's Michael C. Bouchard, the host of the Night Stalker podcast. This is season two, episode 180. Uh, I'm back after a few weeks. Uh, hopefully, we'll be putting out uh, multiple uh, multiple shows, podcasts over the next couple of days. Um, as I had said previously, I'm uh, busy at not only retiring, but attempt- attempting to start a uh, a business, so it's been taking a lot of my time. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we're going to talk about strange uh, homicides, murders, and deaths over in the earlier part of the uh, the 20th century. Uh, one of the really weird, weirder ones that comes to mind, and this wasn't really that early, but it was early enough. On uh, January 26, 2013, 21-year-old Canadian tourist uh, Alicia Lamb uh, checked into the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, she checked in with a, uh, a group of people, but she had never checked out. The uh, Los Angeles Police Department was contacted on... Um, uh, February 19th, 18 days from the last time uh, Elise was seen. And uh, her body was found floating, was found naked floating in a water tank on the roof of the uh, Cecil Hotel. <clears throat> the reason her body was found was because the uh, Guests in the hotel were complaining about the uh, the water pressure, and unfortunately, one couple even reported that the water was uh, coming out a little darker than usual, and it tasted bad. That probably wasn't a good thing. <clears throat> According to the hotel manager, uh, Lisa had originally checked in. She was staying at a hotel. Uh, And uh, with other travelers, she was later uh, moved uh, to her private room due to the complaints from the uh, other roommates about her behavior. Uh, She was last seen on the surveillance footage on the hotel's elevator. The footage showed Lamb acting strange and peculiar, uh, almost like she was uh, hiding. She also moved her uh, hands in a weird or inhumane way, and it looked like she was... uh, Talking to someone who was out of view of the camera, well, considering that it was inside of an elevator, where else are you going to hide? There's only four corners and a box. Uh, Maybe she was talking to somebody that wasn't really there. That would be my first thought. After the body and the surveillance footage was found, it suggested she was on some type of hallucinogenic drug. Even though Lamb took four different medications for her bipolar disorder, uh, toxicological studies reported that there was no trace of any drugs or alcohol that could have contributed to her death. Well, now here is is something that I'm not sure exactly uh, is true. None of the drugs that she, she had been taking uh, might have been the direct result 
of her death, we feel it is a failure to imagine how much of the drug she took, so on and so forth. It also doesn't say whether the 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 drugs that she was taking could cause cause any type of confusion. But if she is bipolar, I am quite sure that uh, with or without the drugs, there were some type of um, mental disorder which caused confusion, um, which probably, and which is also common a lot when, when people are under the influences of narcotics or other things, they seem to take off their clothes because their body gets too hot. Maybe she wanted to cool off going into the water tank. Uh to this day, no one uh, knows how she was able to access the roof or climb into the water tank and shut the 20-pound lid. And a 20-pound lid really isn't that that heavy. However, um, there's other indicators here that may indicate that she had been either taking her medicine to an extent that caused confusion or she had failed to take her medication, which caused confusion. The medical examiner did not find any signs of blunt trauma. Therefore, an assault is pretty much um, ruled out. So, with this case, it's an unusual case. Um, 2013, we should figure we would have had a little more, a little, uh, a little better surveillance uh, footage, you know, the uh, security surveillance footage However, yes, that wasn't the case. Um, doesn't say if they had how many witnesses they had talked to or who they had interviewed, which would have been more helpful. All we know is that she, the cause of the cause of the exact cause of uh, death, is drowning. Any other conditions associated with it are unknown, and anybody she was with, unknown, and why she climbed to the top of the water tank and got inside, that is also unknown. So, uh, this is another one of these unknown cases. Uh, let me see what else we could find here that may be of a little interest. Um, another really bizarre one, uh, it's the, uh, the Hinterkanaflik murders, um, which occurred on March 31st of 1922. Um, and this is a long last name, but Hinterkanaflik Farm in Bavaria, Germany. Uh, six residents were uh, murdered with a pickaxe. The victims included husband, wife, um, their widowed daughter, uh, Victoria, Victoria's uh, child and Joseph and family member and the maid and the maid and the maid's two-year-old son Joseph were killed. Uh, he was killed actually in his crib, which is kind of bizarre. Um, and it is believed that whoever had killed the. Uh, Whoever killed the, uh, the six the, the family members and the maid had probably lived on the farm for, they believe it was up to six days. Um, 
for the simple reason, uh, after the family had died, the cattle were still being fed, meals were being eaten in the kitchen, neighbors reported seeing smoke rising from the chimney, and the family dog was tied up to the uh, post when the mailman came on Saturday. The bodies were discovered the next day. So basically what that's telling you is that uh, whoever murdered them uh, st was still living on the farm, which is kind of really bizarre because, I mean, I don't think personally I would be living on a farm after I, or a house or wherever after I killed six people, but that's just me. Um, maybe there's other people a lot more bizarre than that, but I guess they're probably going to be. Uh, what makes the, uh, the crime even more chilling was that the... Uh, maid was actually hired that day she was uh, killed. She had uh, replaced a uh, previous maid who had uh, quit six months earlier due to the house being haunted. She reported that the family members were hearing footsteps in the attic and a voice around the time uh, previous maid had quit. The Gruber family had also begun to uh, hear voices from the attic. Well, the really the really bizarre thing about this is that maybe there was somebody living in the attic. I mean, think about it. You'd hear footsteps. You'd hear people talking to themselves. I talk to myself all the time. Uh, when I do, I hope most people around me ha have earplugs because I say some crap that uh, would scare the hell out of everybody. Um, so to this date, uh, there have been no suspects. There have been no witnesses. Uh, the case was actually uh, <clears throat> closed in 1950, 1955. The house currently that was on the property uh, had been uh, demolished. So that's kind of an interesting thing going on there. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, don't think I believe in the ghost stories that much, but um, it's interesting. They also stacked the family members on it on hay bales. Um, that's a little bit, um, you know, kind of weird, I suppose. That's Hannibal Lecter stuff going on there, but who knows? It doesn't say whether the family, you know, had conflicts with other people, doesn't really tell us much, but all we need to know is that uh, the only lesson to be learned there is you can't kill people and live in their house for six days. It's socially unacceptable, acceptable nowadays, and probably politically correct at the same time, and that's how it is. Okay, our next story is somewhat bizarre itself. Uh, the ghost ship of... Uh, named Mary Celeste. The Mary Celeste uh, Mary Celeste incident occurred uh, December 4th, 1872. It was a, a British-American ship uh, and it was found floating uh, adrift in the Atlantic Ocean. It was found to be perfectly seaworthy with the full complement of uh, cargo. Uh, the only thing that was missing was a light lifeboat, which may suggest that um, or 
which probably did suggest it was empty that people uh, left the boat. However, the other there's always two sides of the story: were they boarded by pirates and thrown off, uh, or did they voluntarily leave? That we don't know, and we probably will never know. Uh, Mary Celeste uh, set sail from New York, uh, and it was it was bound uh, for Gen- uh, Genoa, Italy. Uh, in November of 1872, the ship was manned by Captain Benjamin Briggs and uh, his wife and two-year-old daughter. Supplies on board the ship were set for to last for six months, fully complemented, and there was uh, luxurious items on the boat, which included sewing machines and upright pianos. Historians and commentators generally agree that the uh, band did such shit. It was unusual for any type of a ship of this uh, statue to be abandoned. Uh, some extraordinary and alarming circumstances must have arised. However, the last entry into the ship log day of the uh, did not indicate anything unusual, and uh, it appeared everything was in perfect order. Conspiracies over the years have included uh, mutiny. Uh, I don't see the, the captain having to be part of a mutiny on his own ship. Uh, pirate attack. Interesting concept, but there was no uh, blood damaged property. Anything to suggest that a confrontation occurred. Even a giant octopus or sea monster attack. However, uh, the cause of the ghost ship still remains unsolved. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really buy the. Uh, the pirate attack thing, because uh, if there was a skirmish, and there probably would have been, uh, no blood on the deck, uh, nothing damaged by bullets, cannon fire, anything like that. So this this is another one that seems to just uh, remain on the uh, the list of the unknown. Um, Here's a newer one, Uh, June 2014. Uh, Mary and Dirk uh, Bertolas and their three-year-old child were getting ready to move into their uh, new home in Westfield, New Jersey. Uh, They claimed that the six-bedroom house was uh, their dream house and located a couple blocks away from uh, Mary's childhood home in one of the uh, top 30 safest cities in the U.S. Well... Maybe not. Uh, three days after closing the sale, before the uh, Broadus family uh, began to move in, um, a letter arrived in their uh, new mailbox, a letter addressed to the new owner, a big, clunky, handwritten, typewriter-type letter, read as followed. Let me see. Dearest new neighbor, Allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you, you and your, how did you end up here? Uh, did you call to, uh, did you call to, let me see. Oh, this, this is really fucking bizarre. Did the house call to you uh, with its fourth force within? Oh, Jesus, there you go. There's your fucking killer right there. Um. It appears that the 110th birthday, let me see, the subject of the family had, uh, 
Yeah, this is really, like, fucking weird. The house itself has been the subject of my family for decades. Now it appears it's 110th birthday. I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. Yeah, okay, this sounds like an effing axe murderer to me. I hate to be. My grandfather watched the house in 1920, and my father watched the house in the 1960s. Now my turn to watch the house. Who am I? Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by the house. Maybe I am in one of them. Looking at the whole, looking at all the windows, you can see your house. Maybe I am the one looking in. Okay, serial killer. Look out any of my windows, and people. It may be me strolling down the street. Maybe I'm one of them. Uh, the letter also mentions specific details about the house. Um, you have children. I have seen them. The letter continued so far. I think uh, there are three that I have counted. You uh, need to fill the house with young uh, blood, I, as I requested. Uh, better for me. Was your old home too small for the growing family? Uh, or was it agreed to bring you, bring me your children? Okay, so, and it was time to watch her. Okay, so already you know you have a nut living next door to you. A big frickin' nut. Um, these are the type of people that if they run out into the road and get hit by a motorhome, it's probably not a significant loss to society or anybody else by that matter. So, with that being said, after receiving the letter, Broadus family reached out to the previous family who had sold in the house, John and uh, Andrea Woods. They stated that 23 years of living at the house, they had never received a letter like that, except once a few years before they were uh, getting ready to move out. The Wood family also stated that they had never uh, felt watched in the in the, the two decades they had lived there. In fact, really, they really felt the need to lock their doors. While the thought noted uh, that they received was only odd, they noted that noted it away without much concern. Still. The two families went to the uh, police with the uh, letter, and the investigation was open. The police warned the family not to tell anyone about the letter, including the neighbors, who were all suspects. Two weeks later, even the uh, Broadus family still hadn't had, had moved in. They received a second letter from uh, with even more chilling uh Specifics about the family included the children's um, that's something in the attic. Uh, let me see. Who has a, the bedroom that's facing the street? I will. Uh, I will know as soon as you move in. It will still help me to know who who is in the uh, in which bedroom. Then I keep me uh, playing a letter several weeks later. 
Judith's family had put their plans on hold to uh, move in. A third letter arrived. Uh, where have you gone? I miss you. Well, you know, as bizarre as this may seem, you know, either we're talking about The Shining here, or could it be a possibility that somebody wanted to buy the house before the family uh, was able to get it? That's something they might want to look into. Uh, because there wouldn't seem to be any need to watch the house, especially if you're a neighbor, because you're in the freaking neighborhood. You'd see what the hell was going on. But if you weren't in the neighborhood and wanted the house, for whatever reason, you could scare the hell out of the new occupants by sending bizarre letters like this. Which also means you're bizarre yourself, and you're probably a fucking axe murderer. Um, by the end of 2014, the case uh, had stalled. Uh, there was no uh, digital trail, and the uh, mental effects were taking toll on board of the family. There were no fingerprints and no way to place somebody uh, at the scene of the crime. Only six months after the, they received the letter, they decided to sell the home, uh, and they're currently... And is currently off the market. The watch's identity still remains a mystery. Well, well, I don't know if it's a mystery. I mean, we don't have a name, but we do know whoever did this was a nut, either a nut or someone trying to scare somebody out of a house for whatever reason. I mean, you know, you, you do have these type of people like this that are crazier than shit and do stupid things like this. Why? I don't know, but that's pretty bizarre. Imagine imagine being home and moving into your new house and getting a stack of letters like this. Yeah, that, that, I, that wouldn't go over well with me. Uh, the, how about the Circleville letters? So those are kind of really bizarre. 1976, residents of Circleville, Ohio began receiving threatening mail from uh, that everything had been haunted. Well, what does that mean? The letters were from Columbus, Ohio, but had no return address. They accused the school bus driver, uh, Mary Gillespie, and the school superintendent of having an extramarital affair. Uh, no biggie nowadays. Uh, everybody's parts fit, so not life-altering. Uh, it's not a life-altering experience. One of the letters was even uh, addressed to Mary's husband, Ron, uh, that threatened his his uh, life if he didn't put a uh, stop to the affair. Ron, uh, 1977, Ron died suspiciously uh, in a one-car crash that involved uh, gunshots. Well, okay, so here again, like the other one, we have a lot of crazy people going on. Uh some have guns. However, when the sheriff uh, ruled the death an accident, other residents of Circleville began re receiving letters accusing the sheriff of covering up the, the so-called accident. Well, yeah, I can see that. I mean, let me see. There's gunshots involved. There's an accident. <clears throat> and you, you think the accident is accidental? 
I mean, holy shit. I mean, there you go. That's a cover-up right there. I mean, you know. In 1974, uh, let me see. And even till today's date, the uh, identity of the Circleville letter writer remains unknown. Kind of freaking bizarre. Uh, let's see what else we know about this. Ron's sister, sister's husband, Paul, was convicted of writing the letters after there was an attempted murder attempt to murder Mary via a booby-trapped rig pistol. Even after he was thrown behind bars, the Circleville letter writer continued. The Circleville letters continued, okay, from the 1970s and early 90s. Um, Even the suspect received one. Well, I would be saying that if this, the suspect was in jail and people were re- receiving letters and he even got one, uh, probably not the guy you're looking for, so um, probably shouldn't have thrown him in jail. Kind of a weak case. Um, really bizarre case, as a matter of fact. Uh, another really bizarre one. The solder child disappearance. On Christmas, uh, on the night before Christmas, oh, this sounds like a, this sounds like we're doing the night before Christmas. On the night before Christmas in 1975 in Fayetteville, West Virginia, George and Jenny Sauter were asleep with their uh, nine-year-old child when a fire started in the house around one o'clock in the morning. George, Jeanette, and the four-year-old managed to escape. The remaining children, 14-year-old Maurice, 12-year-old, uh, Martha, nine-year-old Lewis, eight-year-old Jenny, and five-year-old <coughs> Betty still remained in the house. Between the five of them, they shared two bedrooms located upstairs. Okay, that's interesting, but let me see. George broke back into the house to save the rest of the children, but the staircase was on fire when he went outside to re, uh, retrieve the ladder. It was missing from the, its normal spot, plus both of the his uh, coal trucks, which he was going to use to start uh, stand on top of, were simply not starting. Uh, Mary and one of the, the two children who escaped the fire ran to a neighbor's house to phone the fire department, but the operator did not pick up. Uh, when another neighbor called, the operator failed to pick up the phone again. The same neighbor actually drove to the town and found the fire chief in person and told him about the fire. However, even though the fire station was located 2.5 miles away from the house, the fire didn't. The firefighters did not reach the house until 8 a.m. Seven hours after the fire began. What the f? WTF? It, like, where do these town come from? Where do these people come from? Okay. So let me, let me give you a little a little thought here. Okay, so one child, maybe two make it out. The other ones are, can't, he can't get into the house. 
because there's coal trucks blocking this, blocking that, the ladder suspiciously going this, that, and the other. Nobody in their right mind, no arsonist, is going to think up all these ways prior to a fire to stop people from getting out of the freaking house. So somebody in the house killed, set the fire and killed the kids. But what the frick kind of, you know, the, the, the fire chief, you got a, a damn drunk operator who ain't picking up a damn fucking emergency call numbers, probably boozed up or who the hell knows what's sleeping. And you got a fire marshal uh, that, that arrives to the scene Seven hours later, and the fire department's two and a half miles away from the house. Holy shit. I mean, this is like the the, the hills have eyes. And cripes sakes, don't, don't ever go to that. Don't even move down there. What is that? Where the hell is this place? This place is Fayetteville, West Virginia. Stay way the hell away from uh, out hell. Yeah, just don't even go. Just drive past Fayetteville because you don't want to go there. I mean, they're, they're all axe murder killers. They probably got Vincent Price in the Wax Museum in the downtown. That's probably their that's probably their main attraction. The cause of the fire was deemed to be to be bad wiring, and five missing children were issued death certificates. Well, if they were in the fire, how the hell were they missing? I mean, you had to find bones, right? But they were written death certificates. Soon after the fire, George and uh, Jen began to suspect that the children were not dead, but instead kidnapped, and the fire was deliberately set as a diversion. A diversion to what? The kidnapping? Why would you set a fire if you were going to kidnap people? You might kill them. Uh, while the fire was in progress, a woman came forward and said she saw all five children Peering from a passing car. Another woman was uh, staying at a Charleston hotel, had seen the children's photo in the newspaper, and said she had seen four of the five a week after the fire. The children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of uh, Italian descent. She said, said in the statement, I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and wouldn't allow it. Hmm. From 1915 until 1980s, let me see, Jen uh, Sauter, I guess the mother, died in the 80s. The Sauter family remained a billboard on State Route 16 with pictures of the five being his children, and offered a reward for information. The last known survivor, Sylvia Sauter, doesn't believe that the siblings perished in the fire. To this day, they have never been found. Well, let me give you just some FYI, basic forensics here. If there's no bones in the fire, there were no bodies in the fire. If the fire doesn't burn hot enough to destroy human bones. So that may be that may be something to just get a little bit of a thought. Okay, Griff. Uh, the, the death of the boy in the box, we did that. The mysterious drowning of Natalie Wood, 
Um, that's yeah. That's another. Um, that was another. Uh, pushed a chick overboard thing. Um, I'm just trying to find some some things that are. Jimmy Hoffa. He was buried in a Jersey barrier. He's probably along I-95 between New York, Connecticut, or uh, New Jersey somewhere. The eight-day bride. Okay, this is an interesting one. May 20th, 1974, the body of 22-year-old Christine uh, Kettlewell was found 150 feet away from her honeymoon cottage and five inches of water along the bank of the... Uh, Seven Falls in Ontario, near, in the river near Seven Falls, Ontario. Eight days prior, which would have been May 12th, Christina uh, eloped with 26-year-old veteran uh, John Ray Jack Kettlewell <clears throat> after knowing each other for three years. Christine's family had concerns about the marriage. Jack had, had a friend named Ronald Barnes, who was a 28-year-old immigrant from Italy who a professional uh, ballroom dancer. It was reported that Jack, Christine, and Ronald spent uh, an ordinary amount of time together. Christine, the family even thought that Ronald was in love with Christine. <coughs> well, you know what? If you go back to a couple of my uh, podcasts ago, I forget what the name of it was, but uh, there were three, uh, two, two German men and a... Uh, a German female. Uh, she was known as the Princess of the Galapagos Island. She lived on the island of both of these men. Uh, they were all, you know, all lovers. Uh, and like usual, um, the man and woman disappeared, and one one male body was found. So I, I'm, I'm suspecting this isn't going to be pretty much any different than this. Um, Following the elopement. The newlyweds uh, spent the next few days uh, at a rented apartment in Toronto. Uh, Ronald joined them uh, for the uh, entirety of their honeymoon, and on May 17th, the trio headed to Ronald's remote cottage in Seven's Fall, which was only accessible by boat during the time. It was reported that Christie began to act out of character. She would <clears throat> go into crying fits and other times seemed dazed, even suggested that Christine had conversations with Ronald about whether or not Jack truly loved her. On March 20th, Christine disappeared and Ronald's cabin mysteriously caught fire. No. Ronald's cabin did not mysteriously caught fire because that was the place where the homicide took a, occurred and that was destroying evidence. Um, let me see. And it was, if it, this was a remote island, it was probably less likely of a chance that anybody had just appeared. Uh, somebody had probably just appeared on the island and killed everybody. It had to be one of the two men. Uh, Ronald returned to the cabin and, and found a disorientated Jack sitting in the cabin. I thought the cabin just burnt down. What the fuck's he doing sitting in it? Uh, apparently he injured and had pulled... Uh, it pulled him out of the flames. It was then he looked uh, for Christina but couldn't find her anywhere in the cottage. Uh, Ronald then said that the cottage burnt down in just a few hours. He 
He then took Jack into the boat back to the, the mainland of Seven Falls, took him to a hospital, and then contacted the police. It was then that the situation became worse. Later, Christine's body was found by an owner of a boathouse in the area. Her body was <clears throat> free from burns and any signs of violence. On autopsy, found traces of codeine in her stomach, but her ultimate cause of death was declared a drowning. Interestingly enough, uh, Major Lawrence Scarfield, who acted as a first responder to the fire, reported that he saw no signs of Christine's body in, in the area when he went to go when he went to go to uh, uh, Jack Ronald, 20 other people were questioned by police. And despite possible theories, including Christina committing suicide, the case remains unsolved. Um, yeah, it's it sounds suspicious. This was suspicious. Suspicious. Excuse me. This is a lover's triangle. Uh, you know, the house burning down. Coincidentally, the um, coding in the system, you know, just sounds really, really bizarre. Uh, coding probably isn't the way most people would commit suicide, so we can take that off the bucket list. You know, that, this is this shit is bizarre. Uh, but one of those, those one of those two uh, ended up killing her. And for the last one, we will go to the creepy murder in room ten forty six. January 22nd, 1935, a man called himself Ronald T. Owens, checked into the the hotel president in Kansas City, Missouri. He showed up with no luggage. He was described as a male between the ages of 20 and 35, uh, brown hair, a scar on his scalp, visible above the ear. In the case of Cauliflower Ear, who knows, probably a boxer. He was nicely dressed in a black coat. Received the room keys for room 1046 from the maid, uh, Marius Soptic, said Owens allowed her to clean while he was in the room, but asked her not to not, uh, not to lock the door behind her because his friend was about to visit in the room very soon. Shoptic said he, she, uh, she kept the blind uh, tightly drawn and the light of uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, just a lot of, lot of, lot of bolstering in this, in this story. Um, let me see. Other staff members who entered the room mentioned that they that's the same details. Uh, Soptic also uh, mentioned that Owens was either worried about something or afraid. He was wanted uh, to kind of keep it in the dark. Well, that could be a lot of reasons. More than likely, he was, he was hiding from somebody, uh, the law, ex-wives, people that wanted to kill him for whatever bad reason, I'm sure. Or maybe he was just a crazy person. Uh, at 4 o'clock, Septic returned with fresh towels to find Owens laying on the bed, completely dressed in a, in a dark dark suit. 
with the door unlocked, she also saw a note that read, Don, I will be back in, in 15 minutes. Uh, wait. The next day, day on John Septa came back to clean the room. She noticed that the door had been uh, locked from the outside and assured Owen and assured Owens had locked the door while he was leaving the room. However, Owens was sitting inside again with the lights off, which meant that somebody else had locked the door on the way out. When Septic was cleaning, Owens answered a telephone call and said, No, Don, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast, repeating, No, I'm not hungry. Septic again arrived late that evening uh, to bring fresh towels and uh, her and heard two male voices come from inside the room. When she knocked on the door, she heard a uh, rough voice say, Who is it? When she explained that she, it was uh, fresh towels, the voice said, Reply, we don't need any. During the night, a woman said in room, the woman that, yeah, these, you know, some people, you know, nothing for nothing, but I always narc on, not that I mean to narc on them, but when people write, you need to really explain things so you can understand them. The woman staying in room 1049 will report hearing voices, both male and female, cursing on the same floor. Thinking that a party was going on that night in room 1055, the next morning, June 14th, around 7 o'clock, the hotel switchboard operator noticed that Owen's phone was off the hook for quite some time without being in use. So she sent the bellboy to go see what was up, despite the door having a do not disturb sign. Um, the bellboy knocked several times and heard a voice that said, come in, turn on the light. However, the door was locked. No one was getting up to, to let the bellboy in, so after knocking repeatedly, he left, put the phone back on the hook, assuming that Owens was drunk. Nice. About an hour and a half later, around 8.30 a.m., the phone was still on, off the hook. Another bellboy was sent, let himself into the room with a pass key, using only the light from a hall. A hall. He discovered Owens lying on the bed, naked. Assumingly drunk. He also noticed that the bed was dark around Owens. The phone's stand was kicked over. 10.30 to 10.45 a.m. The phone was once again off the Listen, if you see a fucking body laying naked on the bed, why the hell would you automatically assume they're drunk? Second, if there was a dark stain around it, two and two together, probably blood. Understand, blood or diarrhea, one or the other. <sighs> Let me see. The police told the, bell, the second bellboy to police. When I entered the room, there was a man within two feet of the door on his knees and elbow, holding his hand in his head. I saw saw blood on his head. Then I turned the lights on. I looked around and saw blood on the wall, on the bed, in the bathroom. That frightened me, and I immediately left the room and didn't, and went downstairs. Chicken shit. Uh, Owens had uh, 
had been bound with a cord around his neck, wrists, and ankles. His, his neck had been uh, bruised, suggesting someone had attempted to strangle him. He had been stabbed more than once in the chest above the heart. And one of the wounds had punctured his lung below the, the head and left him with a skull fracture right side. Additional uh, blah, 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 or bullshit, nothing. Dr. Flanders uh, cut the cord from around Owen's wrist and asked him who had done this. Nobody answered. Asking them what had uh, caused uh, the injuries, Owen said he had fallen asleep and hit, hit his head on the bathtub. The doctor asked if he had been laying, trying to kill himself. Owen replied, no. He lost of consciousness, was taken to the hospital. He completely uh, comatose by the time that he had arrived and died shortly after midnight on January 5th. Although Owen's uh, true identity was revealed a year and a half later uh, as uh, Artemis Ogletree, no suspects have ever been identified at Kansas City Police continue to investigate. Well, well, with a freaking name like that, I don't know. How the hell could you miss that one? 1945, witnesses and the, the suspect are probably dead. So, that's probably the end of that. So, you know, these places I mentioned are probably not the places you want to go <coughs> for a vacation or to stay in a hotel room or an island or on a boat. Because if you do, you will probably be the next person that I am talking about on this uh, podcast. And just remember, ladies and gentlemen, if you are in a dark place, I mean physically dark place, not like a, a bad dark place where you want to jump off a bridge, but if you are in a dark place, a dark alleyway, dark room, dark backseat of a car, maybe even a car trunk, wherever the hell you happen to be, just remember, and you hear footsteps coming up from behind you, just think and say to yourself, well, one, why the hell am I here? And second, do I know how to get the hell out of here? Because if I didn't plan an escape route, I will be the next person that the host is talking about on the Night Stalker podcast. Until then, I am Michael C. Bouchard, the host of the Night Stalker podcast. This is season two, episode 180, uh, Death and Disappearances in Strange Places.